Okay, why don't we just get started here? We're supposed to end at 4. I hope they're not going to throw us out if we're still talking at 4.05. But um, uh, why don't we get started here? And actually, before we just talk, this session is really <clears throat> how to avoid pitfalls in terms of your research. But a question was just asked, and I, I'll bring it up now. And the question was, what do you do when the record runs cold? What happens? You get a certain point in your research, there's nothing else, or you don't know where else to go. And in the case of an ancestor that you know was born in the 1820s, well, the first question is also, uh, I would ask, what's your method? Okay, you have a record from the 1820s, but was, that ans was the record from 1820, or was the record created several decades later, and you just did the math and estimated what year he was born in? So what would you say on that ancestor? And I'll ask it to the gentleman who, who asked me. Um, is the record that says he was born in 1820-something, was that created in 1820, or was the record a later record and you saw his age and did the math? Yeah, so, so like my biological right. Okay, and you ha what document do you have? And, and, okay, that was the question. Okay, so he has a record, a census record, and the, on that census record, it was from what year? It was from, 18, was it from 1900? With this one census year, will they ask the month and the year you were born? It's a one that's my favorite census year, this 1900. When they ask you what month and year were you born, is that the record that you're referring to? Okay, so it was a record before 1900. Now, in that case, and this is sometimes a temptation, you get a record, let's say 1880, just for a discussion, and you see a person who's 60 years old, and you say, oh, this person was born in 1820. Well, you don't always know that. First of all, one of the rules of genealogy is that, number one, spelling doesn't count, and I'll spell doesn't, D-U-Z-N-T, and count, C-O-W-N-T, because it doesn't count. Why? Because many people who were enumerated, they themselves could not read or write. They knew their name, but they also couldn't read or write, so they weren't always sure of the year they were born. So the second rule is, and how their name was spelled. So if you had a family whose last name was Reed, is it, oh, well, we're the R-E-E-D-S, and they're the R-E-I-D-S. We're not related to them. Really? The name is sounding the same, and they've got all got sons with similar first names and daughters with similar first names, and they live five miles from each other, and they're two pages apart on the census record in the very same community. Spelling doesn't count because in many cases, is it the census taker who made the differentiation, or was it the person who said, no, spell my name with the R-E-I-D. We're not related to those double E people. Well, again, census records are, are guides. So you have a record that says someone was 20, and maybe it's an 1860 record, or maybe it was they were uh, rather 60, rather, and it was 1880. So you say, okay, well, they were born in the 1820s. Ages are approximate as well. And because ages are approximate, especially if a person is already an elderly person in an 18, 1860 record, or an 1880 record, a person who's 60 years old, is definitely considered elderly. And 
the farther away from a person's birth that a record is created, the less reliable their age can be. You go back 10 years and see that person in 1870, you may find that they're not 50 years old. They may be 45. Again, in some cases, because the person themselves was not able to read or write, they also were not able to count and did not have a written record. So ages, therefore, are approximate. So I'm still getting to that answer. Now, you're dealing with a record giving you some idea, okay, you know the person's more than 10 years old, they're more than 20, they're more than 30 years old. So what do you do? Because you're not even quite sure where to go next. Okay. Okay, you're looking at the history of the town, which is good. But you also want to look at anything else created that can give you some corroborating information. Number one. You see a person who is 60 years old, let's say, in 1880. This person, certainly 15 years earlier, would have been a mature man, 40-ish, 40-something-ish. Probably mature, maybe too mature, but look anyway, to have been involved in something very significant that happened in the 1860s. What was that significant event that took place in the 1860s? It ripped the country apart. Maryland produced at least six African-American regiments from the eastern shore, from Baltimore. Baltimore had more free people who were black than any other city in America in 1860. So, again, incorporate that national history in there. So, look at some military records. Well, no, he didn't serve in the army. Well, you don't know, number one. But number two, did this person have siblings? Look for those siblings and look for those sons. If this person was in his 40s in 1860, then he probably had sons in their 20s. Did they fight in the Civil War? So there are other records that are produced reflecting this family that you can look at. Now, another question to ask. What was this person's status in the community? Number one, they lived in a free community. Hmm, okay. If they were free, they probably, somebody fought in the war because they had to, they were expected to. But then secondly, there's some other things in that community that exist about that family and their status. And if they didn't fight in the war, I'll bet you two to one that somebody who was a widow, a Civil War widow, who got a pension from her husband, somebody had to be a witness to say, oh, yes, I remember them. We grew up in the same community. We went to the same church, and that could be your ancestor. You want to find, if you don't find your person as a soldier, find them as a witness on behalf of the soldier. Secondly, I would look at land records. Look at the land. You know they lived in a community of free people. Now study that community. If there is no one in your town or in that area who is an authority on the free population, nobody can call and ask, then I see a new task for you, my friend. You should become that authority. And don't just say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said the same thing in 1991. When I found my ancestors on that Choctaw Freedman Roll, I had just, it was a week after I had attended 
uh, genealogy conference, and a man gave a session on um, Indian ancestry. And I, he worked at the Library of Con Congress, Dr. Thomas Bloomer. And I remember making an appointment, well, after I had found my records on my family, and I was like, holy cow, what in the world have I found? So I called up Dr. Bloomer, wanted to make an appointment with him, went to the Library of Congress and met this man. And he was flipping through, oh my God, I've never seen this. And he dropped his voice very low, which I thought was kind of strange. He was speaking a little bit lower. I'm kind of backing up. And he said, you know, people talk about Indian ancestors all the time. He was flipping through. You're the first one I've ever found who's ever found it. Oh, my goodness. And then his voice got low. If you want to be. It was kind of spooky. It was like, how's this man talking to me like that? If you want to be the country's authority on these records, it's yours for the asking. And I did the same thing you just did. Oh, yeah, 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 sure, 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 sure. I, I just want to find my grandpa. I just, I'm just looking for this information. But I'm saying to you in front of all these people, what town is that that they were from? But Sandy Spring. If you want to become the authority on Sandy Spring and all of those people, as he said to me, it's yours for the asking. And I did the same thing. I giggled. I kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But seriously, it's a unique community. And that unique community has a unique story. And if no one else is telling that story, start to study it and learn it and make it your story. Next thing you know, your phone's going to be ringing. What's your name? Michael Scott. Mr. Scott, my folks are from Sandy Spring. And I hear you know everything about Sandy Spring. Seriously, if there is no authority, then the challenge is to you to really become. And how do you become the authority? First, you're going to start to document as many of the families. Maybe there are 10, 15, 18 families. I don't know. Oh, he's already knowing the people. We're listening to the authority of Sandy Spring. But start to study it and write the narrative. Because, number one, it needs to be done. And number two, you're going to find some more interesting things that are there. I will probably bet you a cup of Starbucks, I like Latte Grande, that you're probably going to find some Civil War soldiers, if not in your family, at least in your community. The, once you commit to studying them, the trail will no longer be cold. Because, and, and that's what you do. Then you study, in answer to your question, you study the community in depth. You start to get the data on all the neighbors that are there. Which is going to lead us to how do you avoid pitfalls in your genealogy? And what do you do? Now, I've talked about in terms of Native American research, separate the quest for the story from the quest for tribal enrollment. You've got to separate the two. Although some information that can be used, and it can be used for enrollment, just separate it from the political process. And as you pay attention, people are being disenrolled every day, and they're not disenrolled from their history. Please, 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 if nothing else, especially if you have a strong, committed interest to Native Americans, if you don't do anything else or hear anything else, I say be aware of New Age fraud. It is out there. It is abundant. It's everywhere. 
as some of them call them, plastic shamans or just plastic Indians, all those types of groups that are there. There are groups that even structure themselves like federally recognized tribes. They got a great chief. They got a beautiful, great seal. And for a small fee, they will enroll you in their tribe and be aware of them. They're out to get your money. They do not exist. And they are dangerous. And you can truly lose your life. Some of you remember about five or six years ago, two women who died in a sweat lodge out in Arizona. It was like 128 degrees in that tent, and they were trying to commune with the Great Spirit in the middle of a desert. It's already 112 degrees, and here they were sweating and were not going out to get any air because they were waiting for that mystical moment where I guess they were going to commune with somebody, and they are forever now communing with them. There is something called New Age fraud. Just Google it. You will see lots and lots and lots of groups that are out there. There are probably over 200 groups of people called Cherokee something. There are only three recognized Cherokee tribes in this country. Cherokee Nation of Oklahoma, United Couture Band of Oklahoma, and the Eastern Cherokee Nation. That's it. All of those other 200 plus, they're not real. They are just groups of people who form something. And that's just poor. And they're not all Cherokee. There are hundreds and hundreds. There's a uh, gentleman out of New York, out of Brooklyn. He's chief of his own tribe. And you'll see pictures of him with all kinds of, you know, war paint on. Very colorful. And some of his feathers are really kind of pretty. And I do like his jewelry. This is not from him, okay? But... It's very, very dangerous, and these groups are out there because a lot of people get very emotional when it comes to this, and the charlatans are out there to prey upon your emotion, and they're there. Oh, yes, my sister, I can tell. I can tell the great spirit has told me to come and talk to you. All right. Please be aware of them. They are there, and they're called plastic shamans. There's a website where one group offers to train you how to become a shaman. Okay, but um, it is something that can cause harm, not just financial harm, just giving money to people, but there's some, and there's a website called newagefraud.org that really puts out a lot of warnings. A word about DNA. This is my autosomal DNA, by the way. This is from 23andMe. And um, I think it's an interesting tool. It is an interesting tool. You can use it to find all kinds of things. And you'll see that, uh, you know, this is my African ancestry and the sub-Saharan ancestry and the European. You'll see I have more European than Native American, but I do have the Native American that's showing up. But basically, look at me. You see my sub-Saharan. If this was 1955, I would be in the back of the bus. So understand, yes, there is Native American ancestry that's there, and it is showing. But, you know, that's okay. It's also okay that I live in an African-American world, culture, context. I see the world through an African-American lens. And that's also good. And I think that it is important that DNA is understood, that it's a tool. It's a tool that's going to point you to many interesting things about your past. 
And, um, you know, yes, and I do have the document. I have the papers that show that I have Native American ancestry, but I also have, yeah, the DNA markers that are showing that too. But understand, DNA is not used for any tribe. No tribe is going to accept this DNA test as proof to me to come on in. Sister, we've been waiting for you. No, they haven't. <laughs> and, um, and also, this doesn't tell you what tribe. I can tell you from my own ancestry and research and family history, it's both Cherokee and Choctaw. But, okay, fine. Neither tribe is going to now come and ask me to join or certainly give me an enrollment card because of that. It's an interesting tool. And also, I know, look, I have a lot more European as well. And it doesn't put me at the front of the bus because I have the European ancestry. Yeah, it's part of the history. We know that. That's part of your history. You know it. You accept it. You tell the story. But it doesn't mean you have to alter your culture. And your culture is good as it is. And it's very important. Yeah, I've got some Middle Eastern folks in there. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's interesting. And then I have one. Oh, this doesn't mean I'm from outer space. That little gap there, because everything is supposed to be, there's another little gap right there, unassigned. I have no idea. Uh, maybe I'm from another planet or something. They can't figure out genetically what that is. It's interesting. It's an interesting tool. There are some tests that are there. For a test that gives you percentages, autosomal tests are useful. This is 23andMe, which I think has a larger database than Ancestry. But Ancestry usually has the better price, so I know a lot of people are taking Ancestry. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and as I said, whatever you use, if you take an autosomal test, you can upload it to a site called GEDmatch, G-E-D-match.com, and it's free, and it helps you find other cousins, um, people with whom you share common ancestry with. And uh, it's fun, but it should not be something that you wake up and, you know, check to see, you know. Um, and also, one thing is very revealing, too. Looks mean nothing. Looks mean nothing. I'm going to tell you a story, Mildred. <laughs> Mildred, stand up, let everybody take a look at you. This woman has one of the highest African percentages defined on a DNA autosomal test. She and her brother, is it your brother who's also taking it? You all are 96 and 97% African. Complexion, she's higher than I am, African. It doesn't mean anything. Looks, looks are not anything. That's just the, you know, that's just sort of the, the mixture of the DNA mixture on that day. But she has one of the highest African, that they have seen in the company. This is not, not me saying that. This is the company noticing that they, she and her brother have one of the highest African percentages of most African Americans that they have ever tested. So, again, it's fun. Play with it. It's a tool. But it shouldn't make or break your world. So, uh, hopefully you're a confident person moving through life. And, of course, this breaks it down a little bit in DNA and shows, you know, what the different percentages are. And, and it's kind of interesting. So... Uh, but it's those unassigned that had me a little bit, you know, curious. What do you mean? So the most important rule to follow is use standard genealogical methodology. Very, very important. 
And even though I've heard a lot of people say, well, I already know who my grandmother was. I'm worried about that. Now, her father, wait a minute, you haven't found anyone in 1940, but you're ready now to go after grandma's father because he was the full-blood Indian. Go right back, start with yourself, and use the step. Pull out that pedigree chart and start filling it out. It's very, very important that you do that. And, of course, use the census and vital records thoroughly. Every person that you have, if they're deceased, make sure you have birth, marriage, and death on every person, that you have a file on every person. And not until you've exhausted the records in the public domain should, we, should you rush to go and look at the specialized Indian records. Remember that whoever you find on an Indian record, you're also going to find them on the census. So don't bypass that, particularly because in a lot of records you find someone who's listed, like especially in the 20s and 30s and 40s, you see somebody who's a lodger or a boarder in the household. A lot of times those are relatives. They're not strangers walking in off the street. People are just coming out of the Depression. Uh, you know, they're trying to make it. They just arrived up north from the migration. They're not going to just suddenly bring strangers in this circle. And people actually followed where other people were, which is why you may find, gee, everybody on the census page, everybody's from North Carolina. Because, and they're probably all from the same town. And so you find that as well. So don't overlook the census. Follow the trail of names and avoid the search for gold. I get calls all the time. Can you help me get an Indian scholarship for my child? No, I can't. Um, and particularly because if you're not Indian now, why are you going to be Indian next month after you find the months of record? You are what you are. And um, you will find that no one will help you if you're trying to simply get scholarships that are designated uh, for a particular ethnic group. And um, if you're following standard methods, it's going to take you where you need to go anyway. And no, you're not going to get casino money. No, it's not going to happen. Now, some tribes are small. There are some tribes in California where people actually do uh, distribute casino funds throughout their population. These are tribes less than 1,000 people. So, yeah, everybody get these big checks um, because they don't really have much of a land mass and they've got to do something with it. But these are very few, probably five or less tribes are like that. So it's important to think about that. Keep the focus on the research and not the appearance. Hair length, hair texture, cheekbones. What's the other thing? Shovel teeth. Has anyone heard of shovel teeth? Oh, well, that's supposed to be another thing, um, which I'll let you Google it. How many people remember this guy? This is the crying Indian. Remember Beautify America? Oh, yeah, full-blooded Indian. Make you cry. He looks at all the, the, the trash in the street and... Oh, he's looking at his land of his ancestors. This man was a full-blooded actor. He was Italian. Iron Eyes Cody. He was not a Native American. Full-blood Italian-American born in Louisiana. But he had the look. And the look doesn't mean that that's proving that he is Native. Call your ancestors what they were. 
There are dozens of tribes from New England, Georgia, the Carolinas, all the way down the eastern seaboard and points west. Learn the history to determine who lived where. So you won't have to say that your folks were Cherokee Blackfoot because there's no such tribe. Although, if you go on Google, I'm sure you'll find several tribes that will gladly admit you for a fee. But if you stick with standard genealogical methodology, and there may be Native ancestry there, but you want to call them what they were, and you want to document that history correctly. Commit yourself to telling the story, whether it's the story of a small community like Sandy Spring, Sandy Spring, or it's a community in Tahlequah, Oklahoma, or wherever it may be in Apalachicola, Florida, document the story. Commit yourself to telling that story. And you're going to use the history, the geography, you're going to use the records of the population, and you're going to be able to then avoid the pitfalls and the plastic shamans, and you will not be derailed at that point. And you're going to be able to place your ancestors back on the historical landscape where they belong. Maintain the integrity of your research and avoid invention. If the records don't show the native ancestry, don't need to invent a story on why they were passing as something else. Document the journey, document what you find, and report what is there to be found. I'm going to leave you with words from my part of the country, from Oklahoma. You've heard of the WPA slave narratives. Well, there were some former slaves interviewed as well in Oklahoma. Cheney Richardson was interviewed in 1937, and she said, I've been a good churchgoer all my life until I get too feeble, and I still understand and talk Cherokee language and love to hear songs and parts of the Bible in it because it made me think about the time I was a little girl before my mom, pa, leave me. Sarah Wilson sums it up best. I was a Cherokee slave, and now I'm a Cherokee freed woman. And besides that, I'm a quarter Cherokee my own self. This is the way it is. It is the way it is. Thank you for your time and four whole sessions. I appreciate it. And I will applaud you as well. Thank you. Thank you so much.